Hey, St. Paul, welcome to episode 17 of our podcast on the study of the Holy Spirit. Emily, thank you again for joining us. Glad to be here. I'm so glad that you are glad <laughs> to be here. We're taking a little bit of a, uh, a turn here, especially since we're in the Advent season. Um, we're going to study a little bit of the passages of the Christmas story and kind of point to the work of the Holy Spirit in those passages and those stories. Emily, what are we going to study today? We are going to look at the arrival of the wise men or the magi. Um, onto the scene. And a lot of things that I read looking into this was, you know, every nativity puts the wise men there with Jesus in a manger. And really, when they came, Jesus was what, two-ish? He was older than that. So (laughs) they were not at the manger. (laughs) So maybe we should be talking about our Christmas hymns and our carols that we sing, you know, uh, and the nativities that we have. Matthew doesn't even tell us how many magi there are. Yeah. I mean, we assume there could have been a thousand of them. Well, and, and even if it was only three, they came with probably a an entourage. Yeah. Like they came with people. So, I mean, it's not like they were easily missed. People yeah, were like, who are these folks traipsing in? <laughs> so they're leaving the East. They're coming towards this, the, the shining star and they get on bus 64A, <laughs> make a transfer somewhere else. Something depending on where they have started, whether it was Persia, whether it was Egypt, whether it was the Arabian desert. I mean, it could have been uh, hundreds of miles, hundreds yeah. of miles that they traveled. And this was not something that just was a weekend trip. No, this was a very deliberate trip and probably took them some time. And you say, you know, we don't know where they come from. But I like to think that they did come from Persia or the area of modern day Iraq because that's where Babylon was. Mm. And I like to put them there because we know that a little Hebrew kid named Daniel was in Babylon. His claim to fame was his interpretation of dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar. And he kind of put all these seers and dream interpreters and magicians that these kings and rulers relied on. Um, He kind of became their boss for a while. For what, 60 years? Is that how long Daniel served the king? Every bit of it. So So I got distracted. You know, we've talked many times before about getting down our rabbit holes and whatever you said, third <laughs> degree removed, whatever it is. I think more like six degrees of separation. <laughs> That's probably it. But um, so go, going down this rabbit hole of who the Magi were, because something that Tim Farmer said in Sunday school a couple years ago kind of brought it to my attention that, you know, growing up or you listen to the songs, you know, We Three Kings of Orient are. Well, you think, well, they're not really probably Asian, but they were from the East. And so Tim kind of brought this to my attention and kind of piqued my interest. And so when we were talking about doing the Christmas thing and talking about the story, this, when I really started digging into it, I was like, Wow. Wow. And I know that this isn't directly on topic with the Holy Spirit, yet the plan that clearly is, this is why I like to believe that they're from Persia, that they're from that area of the world, because it ties directly back to the Hebrew children in exile 
And what, a, of course they knew. <laughs> of oh. course, of course those seeds were planted all that time ago. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Daniel and who he was and why I think that that's important. And um, I'm just, as John says, mama over here. So I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's what's interesting about what you had just said. And I want to accent that work of the Holy Spirit that you're alluding to. What's amazing is God sees time uh, as we look at an object. He's outside of time and space. And so what gets the Israelites in such a rough place actually becomes part of the plan that God uses Mm -hmm. to bring about the the Messiah, to lay the groundwork, the preparation for this. Yeah. And and so if these wise men, and I'll lean into that too, um, if these wise men were from from Persia, and and this is where Daniel was uh, during that time, what's interesting is that what we know about the Magi that came to visit Christ that were following that star is that they had to have some Jewish scriptural influence. Yeah. They had to know something about it. And who was that one who brought it into Babylon? It was Daniel. Yeah. And Ellsworth Callis wrote in one of his books that God is always better than his plan. Yeah. And I love that. You think about our own selves, that, boy, if I would have done it that God said and been obedient, maybe it could have worked out a lot different for me and for those around me. But even in those midst where we have found ourselves in disobedience, man, God still uses those. Yeah. You know, God still uses those moments to remind us of his faithfulness and remind us of his love. And and here we are once again with the Magi, we come to this place and we see that it is dripping with God's plan yes. hundreds of years before. Yes. And it's and it's beautiful. It is a beautiful reminder. Right, because immediately before Matthew, I mean, we like to think that, well, my Bible is set up this way, so it flows in the order that it's in the Bible. <laughs> and what I have a really hard time, you know, and I know that there are chronological Bibles out there, and perhaps I need to look into that, because today, looking at things, I was like, oh, oh, wait, this happened before that, but it's after that in the Bible. So wait a minute, I got to get, I got to get my head back around this. Um, Because we see Matthew and here's the story of Jesus. Here's his birth, right? To open up with. But before that happened, that was 400 years at least of silence where God had not spoken, you know, prophesying, making, you know, using these prophets to make these grand statements like he had throughout the entire Old Testament. Um, Look at all the prophets we have. The Old Testament is way longer than the New Testament. There's all this silence that has happened. And there is still that, the Magi know the scripture. where they They come in. So even with all that silence and all the time has passed, they come in and quote Micah. <laughs> yeah, and here's here's what's interesting. I mean, you're looking into something that it can be so reflective of where people find themselves today. Here is 400 years of silence, right? No prophets and anything. And what God uses, the people that God uses to reintroduce this age of prophecy of God, you know, this this beautiful intersection of God reaching earth are foreigners. 
Yeah. People who were outside of the Jewish faith, outside the covenant, and yeah. God uses them and speaks to them. And the Holy Spirit is is actually working inside of them. Yeah. That all through these, you think about all the uh, the passages that they were studying and that were told to them from generation to generation to generation to generation since Daniel, or if not even before, that that had to be passed down to get to this place. I mean, yeah. you can't help but think that the Holy Spirit's in this. That's right. I mean, who else could do it? Who else could orchestrate this? No, no one. And 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 it just goes back to the point of even when we think God is silent, he is not idle. That's right. Still working. Absolutely. He's still, you know, you said something a minute ago. What what was your quote that God is better than even his plan? Yeah, God is better than his plans. Because I just think about how many times I have said, well, that went better than I planned. (laughs) That worked out. (laughs) And if we can say that, just imagine God. (laughs) Well, and it makes me think, you know, even the things that I have planned, and I come out, and when I do say, well, that went better than I had even anticipated it would go, well, sure, it went exactly the way the Lord wanted it. Of course, it's better than what I had planned or even come up with, <laughs> because it's, you know, on his scale, this is, yeah, you know, his scale is greater than mine. So, um, yeah, this is just the way that it orchestrates. But I wanted to read from, from um, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 24, um, verse 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. Which, by the way, that is where Abraham is from. Wow. I mean, here's this land of the These are Abraham's people. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So Jeremiah is telling them there are two groups here. Some of you are going to be thrown out. These bad figs that are so bad you can't even can't even eat them, can't even use them for jelly, can't even mash them up and put them in something. They're so bad. They're going to be gone. But this good group, I'm going to keep them and they're going to do well. So even in this time of, yeah, you're going to be sent off, you're going to be captured and you're going to go into captivity. You're going to be exiled into Babylon. He's still promising that that good things will happen. So then if we go over to Chapter 29 in Jeremiah, it says in verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So he's promising you're going to be productive here. This is not going to be a time which I guess he's saying it's not going to be like when you were in Egypt. You're not going to be, you know, mistreated so much as you were. Um, It's not going to be like that. This is going to be a time of growth and it's going to be good for you. And, And the word that he uses for welfare is shalom. 
peace. which is peace. And that peace does not mean that it's an absence of conflict. This is so beautiful to me. But the ability to have tranquility and to thrive in the midst of the conflict. So even though they're in captivity, even though they've been ripped from their homeland and from their friends and maybe some of their family, there's been destruction, Jerusalem is gone, the temple is gone, and even though there's been this conflict, now they're going to have this time that in the midst of that, they're still going to have that shalom and that peace that, as Paul says, surpasses all understanding. So that's what they're in. And in the coincidentally, really not coincidence, but this time in Babylon was incredibly fruitful for Babylon. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was a really feared king, but Babylon grew a lot during this time. They were fortified. They had these walls that were so thick that seems like I read somewhere that they had chariot races on top of the walls. (laughs) That's how much room and how thick they were. So this time of prosperity that came from Babylon, I, I just have a hard time thinking too that 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 was a mistake or just a coincidence um, because I'm like, well, the Israelites were there and the Lord sent that remnant there because they were the best and the brightest and the most devout and kept his his statutes. So, um, and that's where you learn about Daniel. So you know that Daniel was, because Nebuchadnezzar was like, I want the best, the brightest, the most handsome, the most beautiful. Bring me the good ones. I want the cream of the crop from these Israelites. And, and he trained them. And educated them and said, here you go. So, um, and as the veggie tales say, it's Rack Shack and Benny <laughs> for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> and Daniel were, um, were roommates and lived together. And so they were kind of set apart even from the other cream of the crop. And Daniel became really trusted by Nebuchadnezzar, who was a wicked king. But even the Lord in the Old Testament refers to him as his servant, my servant Nebuchadnezzar. So God was using him as an instrument in this whole thing to help save this remnant. So um, anyway, sorry. So what's there you beautiful, go. <laughs> this, this sets the groundwork for what we are seeing that prompted the Magi to be aware of some Jewish teaching about yeah. the king of the Jews. I think so. And, and imagine being Jeremiah or imagine being the folks in first century. Just look, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have been through this, you know, in the couple verses that follow what you were reading in Jeremiah, which was the prophecy during this, this exile is verse 11. For I know the yeah. plans I have for you, plans to give you prosperity, plans to give you hope, plans of future. But see where we find ourselves so many times is we find ourselves in the moments of the present and the past. We cannot see beyond those things. Now we can look back and you see this time and time and time again in the scriptures. We can look back and say, okay, God moved there. God moved there. God was here in my life, but maybe I'm just this way in my current crises or if there's current, uh, doubt or whatnot, my heart jumps to, well, Maybe I've exhausted all of my chips on God's table. Maybe I have exhausted and spent all of my favors. And we think even in the present that God, God is going to give up on us. 
Yeah. And it takes it takes a lot. And here's, you know, the Jewish people when Jesus was born in first century, they had every reason to believe that there's nothing that's uh, going to come. Uh, there's this is horrible, and you know, and and here comes uh, the entrance of of the Messiah, and the people that prophesy about that, the people who come to celebrate it, who have searched Scripture, who have seen God in the stars and uh, all in nature, was not a Jewish prophet. It no. was it was a foreigner, yeah, outside the uh, the covenant that comes. And, and what's beautiful is we can't even mess it up for God, okay? I mean, you think... As hard as we yeah, might try. We can't even... Job says we can't, we can't thwart God's plan. Right. Okay? So in one sense, if you have a large ego, pop it, okay? Yeah. But on the other hand, you can feel, okay, then it doesn't rise and fall on my shoulders, Right. That we can release that and, and we say, okay, God, you are in control. You are doing these things in our midst. And here come the Magi. And they come and the first place that they go, I mean, they they probably came with great wealth. Uh, they came with an entourage. They yeah, came, these were people. Yes. <laughs> these they, were big people. I mean, yeah, they were the people. <laughs> yeah, they had influence uh, where they were and they came and they got an audience with the king. Well, it reminds me of um, Aladdin, <laughs> where where he's going in, <laughs> make way for Prince Ali, with you know, the, uh -huh, where they're marching in, and there's elephants and monkeys <laughs> and dancing ladies and yes. all these things. There's marching bands, and I get kind of that picture of this entourage entering into Jerusalem, saying, "Where is the king? We've come to see him. Congratulations, all you people!" And the looks that they may have gotten. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They had significance. They had influence because they got, as you're saying, they got the king to be their audience. They they, yeah. they were able to go. And here's here's what we know about King Herod. And just, just on the surface was he was intimidated that there would be another king. I mean, this yeah. guy of 40 years, he had been in, in office since his time. He had, if there were any folks that gave him the sense of any hint of disloyalty, he had him killed. Yeah. You had mentioned it earlier before we started. His favorite wife. Okay. <laughs> I, I go home sometimes to tell Lisa, I want you to know, sweetie, you're my favorite wife. And she'll talk, to, look at me and say, okay, I'm your only wife. That doesn't mean much. But what, in, that to tell day, me something? in that day, that meant something. Okay. Yeah. And um, wasn't an arbitrary. Yeah, it comment. wasn't just an arbitrary <laughs> comment. You know, I looked at Katie Grace this morning. She's seven, six and a half, and I said, "You're my favorite daughter under the age of eight, <laughs> Daddy. I'm your only daughter." But this was not uncommon for that. That meant something. Yeah. He had her killed, and other wives, and other children, and if, sons, and I sons. Mean, yeah, seems like they would be kind of revered. <laughs> Dude, this guy had so much lack of uh, self-esteem that he was scared about everything. Yeah. And so here comes these foreigners with pomp and circumstance, we can only imagine. And they, they come to the king and say, okay, 
Where is he? Where, we have seen his star rise, and we want to know where is this one who is born king of the Jews? Whoa, Herod <laughs> says, I'm the king of the Jews. But he played it He played I it. I didn't right. know. Yeah, yeah, where is he? Yeah. <laughs> Could you find out? So he kind of dumbs it down a little bit and says, all right, all right, um, uh, well, let's look. Let's go through the scriptures and stuff like that. You can only imagine that every kind word or seemingly on the surface uh, inoculate word uh, that he had had an undercurrent of I'm going to get him. Yeah. But he was intimidated. But here's what's so sad to me. Herod calls the scribes, the religious leaders, and they go back because the Magi wanted to know where he was. And so they go back through the scripture and they find out from Micah that he was to be born in Bethlehem, right? And so the Magi go back and they go and, and, and visit. So here's what's shocking to me about these religious leaders, these scribes. Their whole covenantal relationship with God was based on the promise of a Messiah. Yeah. For thousands of years, starting all the way back in Genesis 3.15, you have these messianic prophecies. You see them peppered throughout the Pentateuch and throughout the history, wisdom literature. You see them overflowing in the major and minor prophets. But they had been looking for this, anticipating Simeon in Luke's gospel goes every morning to see if the Messiah was here yet. Every morning yeah. he would go, even in the midst of 400 years of silence. And so here are these religious leaders. It was brought to their attention that a Messiah was, who is he? Where is he? All right. We've seen his star. So there's, you know, okay. So they go through and they find out that, but notice what they don't do. They don't go and visit. They don't go and fact check. They are indifferent. Herod's intimidated. The religious leaders, they're indifferent. It's like they don't even, well, I know the prophecy, but that's going to be sometime in the future. It does, you know, for whatever reason. Now, look at the picture that if you take that and you put it and set it on top of where we are now. We constantly look and say, well, that's sometime in the future. Yeah. That's down the road. We look at our response to the entrance of Christ and the significance of God's salvation message to all nations, to all people through Jesus Christ. And we, we think, well, well, that was significant then, and that's going to be significant down the road, but God is silent. God is not really moving. God is... We're in this in-between time. Yeah, we're in this, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm indifferent. We hear about somebody saying God moved in their lives. And we kind of give a half-smile nod and say, oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And yeah. we just start thinking about the next thing that we have to do. Look, the entrance of God has to stop our world. No matter if it's seen in Christ or seen in our own lives, I mean, it has to stop our world. And we got to be careful about being intimidated or indifferent, indifferent. Right. And, you know, it makes me think about, just like you just said, you when someone says, look, the Lord has moved 
or look at this, what the Lord is doing. And we might discount it a little bit because, well, we're not involved. And so how many things, how many times does our pride get in the way and our insecurities that you mentioned or that, well, I didn't do it, so I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah, that's great that this church is running this much in attendance and that this is what their offerings are and these are the programs that they offer and and look how, you know, gosh, that's great, but who cares? And it just makes you question, you know, gosh, this is a fallen world because why wouldn't we want to be, gosh, may we not be like the scribes and the Pharisees. May we not look at where the Lord is moving and working and go, uh, I don't know. I think something, there's something about this that I don't think it's always a malicious decision to be indifferent. I think it's, we have lost our ability to see future blessing. Yeah. That no matter what happens, if the, if, if God calls us through his Holy spirit to do something, to be, we start to mitigate the risk of what that is. And we start to jump five, 10, 20 miles down the road or weeks down the road, if you will. And we try to, okay, well, that would mean this and that would mean that. And we kind of got, well, maybe it's, I don't know if I can do that or should do that or what will they say or whatnot. I mean, we, I think really believe that we have lost our ability to see future blessing that and believe that, okay, we know God has been faithful in the past and that God will be faithful in the future, that God will do what he promises to do. And those unctions, those little things that touch our hearts and our spirits, that is the Holy Spirit, those are to be acted upon. Those are to be embraced, even in the midst of, of silence or in the midst of uh, catastrophe. I just think about, you know, missing it and going back and going, oh, how did I miss that? How was I so unaware that that was the thing that I've been hoping for and praying for? How did I miss it? I thought it was going to be like this. And I guess that's why the the Jewish people that rejected Christ was they thought they were going to come. He was going to come in with an entourage like the Magi. Mm. (laughs) They thought that he was going to be like Prince Ali from Aladdin. Make way. Here come the king. Here comes the real king of the Jews. He's a conquering king. He's going to set you free. But really, he's a baby in a manger. That threw the world upside down. For real. That you miss it, that you miss it, that you miss this kid that was born. You know, our our nativities are in stables and the innkeeper says, sorry, no room in the inn. And if you've ever been to Israel and (laughs) and seen, you've ever waited in that real long line in Bethlehem at that that Orthodox church. (laughs) They were under construction when we were there, weren't they? Yes. It was wow. a snake. It was longer than a ride at Disneyland, <laughs> Disney World, the, the line that we stood in for hours. We should to, have checked if they had fast pass. Yeah. To, I wish they did, to um, duck your head in and go down. Um, it's not what we picture. It's not this, you know, idyllic little barn scene um, on the outskirts of town. Because the houses there, I just, I want to explain this because it was really mind-opening 
so these the houses were built these little houses and underneath on the main other uh, the first level was like this cave dug out and that's where they put the animals it wasn't like a structure it was each household kind of stuck their stuck their livestock down there their sheep their goats their, their cow that they might have uh, under under the house so they were protected in this kind of area and 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 it wasn't necessarily that it was an inn it was you know people were pouring in to Bethlehem for this census that's why Mary and Joseph had to go to be counted and so the house was full y'all got here late well our donkey's carrying a 9 month pregnant woman <laughs> We had to move slow, okay? You know, everyone was full. So they're like, hey, y'all just hang out down. Y'all can make a pallet down here with the... with the animals, at least you've got shelter. So that's kind of what the the scene is. Not necessarily all the hotels are full. <laughs> yeah, you sh- they should have used their app yeah, for Bethlehem. Do- yeah, Ho- visit Bethlehem.com. <laughs> yeah. They should have called Uncle Bruce and said, "By the way, we're coming. Do you have a place for us?" <laughs> and I don't know why I said Uncle Bruce. <laughs> I don't even have an Uncle Bruce. (laughs) Oh, my word. But so that's the idea that you duck your head and there you are. And it's, a you know. You can't enter without bowing down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. And the uh, Bethlehem was one of the most significant places visited. My favorite places were up in Galilee, Capernaum, Sea of Galilee. In the church that was built over the stable in present-day Bethlehem was, what was beautiful was the contrast between the hustle and bustle of the construction of all the people, of the serpentine lines, people trying to get there, the noise, all this this stuff. The smells. The smells, (laughs) yeah. And then you go down. And for a moment, there's no high structure there's no murals on the wall. There's no altar or anything like that. I mean, it's just, you just step back right there into the history. And it, that's, that's, that's what was significant to me. I, I really, I really enjoyed that. See, all the things that you just mentioned kind of ruined it for me. <laughs> 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 My feet hurt. I was tired of standing there. The smell in the Orthodox Church. All that incense was bothering me. <laughs> People are having panic attacks from going down those those steep marble steps. I'm sorry. I, now I want to go back and look at it again um, because I like the the Shepherd's Hill. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> nice. Go tell it on the mountain. Yes, I like no, that, that better. Was, that was nice. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't mean to stay on this this Orthodox Church in Bethlehem, but. I mean, we were in these nice little lines, and then we get to the entrance, and it was like, it was a blown out crowd. Yeah. And it was like, in the back of my mind, you start seeing, you know, I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching people to go in, was I'm thinking, I was here before them. <laughs> I was here before them. It's my turn to go in. Absolutely. I want to see the baby Jesus. No, stop. <laughs> Yeah, see, I kind of got lost in the, oh, I didn't get to spend any time down there. And the, oh, my gosh. And, um, yeah. Well, and it just, it, you you look at who we, God, we've now, this is for real a tangent, six degrees of separation from Jesus right here. But um, 
what how we've commercialized and taken, you know, we have in our mind that this is going to be, you know, what we think it's going to look sure. like, that we think we're pulling up to this little hamlet, this little sleepy town of Bethlehem, and we're going to see this barn where, and the actual trough, the manger where Jesus was laid. We just know that that's what it's going to be. And you pull up and there's a city and it's bustling and it's, you know, it, it hasn't stayed the same. It's grown and we lose our faith a little bit because it's not as how we pictured it. So ugh, it can't mean anything. It's not special. And I, I mean, to come back, I mean, that's kind of what they didn't expect a baby. They expected an entourage and a crusading right. king to come in. Um, and it tested their faith, and they lost it for a little bit. Some of them. Some of them never regained it. There is um, an underlying current through all this. And throughout the Old Testament, there have been prophecies and prophecies. You, you can go to Isaiah 60, and you can see the significance of this, but this prophecy of the Messiah that will become this light to all nations, Mm -hmm. to all people. And here you have a light in the East that these people of, that were considered part of the nations, nations were outside of the, the, the Jewish uh, faith outside of the covenant at that time. And they, they see this light and they respond to it. I would wager a bet that they had no idea of the significance of Jesus' birth when it came to forgiveness of sins, that blood had to be shed. I bet you they had no idea what the significance of being part of the lineage of David and and things like that. But what they did know, they responded to. Yeah. They didn't get caught up in what they didn't know. And I think that's part of the lesson for me uh, in this. I mean, whether it's Herod, whether I feel intimidated, whether I feel threatened, or whether at times uh, I feel like the religious leaders that um, when I feel a prompting of God moving around me to uh, walk on the other side of the street, go say hi to this person, uh, share my faith story to so-and-so, that I, I begin to become indifferent. Well, start questioning on what I don't know. Is, is that really God? Or am I really feeling this? Or maybe, maybe I should go home and pray about this, you know, and maybe come back when it was more of an in-that-moment uh, invitation of the Holy Spirit. I mean, what we see here is that King Herod, the religious leaders, were not noticing that God was in their midst. And it was an outside group, the foreigners, the magi, that had found their roots way back in Daniel's day. But the big overarching picture is that God is revealing among his people the Messiah. And I read um, that he will use all the tools of creation to show him. And we talked about, you know, Psalm 19.1 talks about the, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. And it's been alluded to, and some things that I've read said that, you know, the constellations and the stars, that, the, that God has written this story across the sky. And that kind of goes back into the star that showed up. 
And isn't Jesus referred to in, in Revelation as the bright and morning star? Yeah. So this star and the light of the world that comes, wow, the tools of creation and the things we don't see. I mean, think of all the, think of all the things that we don't see, you know, the heavenlies. With some telescopes, we could kind of see what the cosmos look like. And there's a very select few people on the yeah. planet that have gone up into outer space and have seen the glory and the wonder that surely it must be. But even here on Earth, like in these remote jungles and these remote places that most humans don't see and will never see, or there's just a select few that get to wander around and see the plants and the animals that might exist that God has put there, mm. but we don't even know. And doesn't that tell his story for him? In Carlos Whittaker's book, at the end where they're on that, uh, they enter wild and they're in the African safari and yeah. he's trying to take a picture of the stars. Yes, yes, yes. He could never take a picture of the stars because he had too much interference mm -hmm. and he had to leave the shutter open a little longer and change the aperture and stuff like that. Yeah. I think there's an invitation for us to, to slow down enough where we change our aperture a little bit, change our settings, change our settings a little bit to recognize, to be invited once again to where the Magi are brought into. So they go to Jerusalem, but they end up where Jesus was and what do they do? I mean, just picture this for a second. Mary's probably warming the baby bottle or something, <laughs> changing diapers or taking out, you know, whatever. And there's a knock at the door. And there's that entourage. And so Mary and Joseph, we think maybe it was a year to two years after Jesus' birth that the wise men show up. Life could have actually gotten in the way for them. Yeah. What preschool are we going to send Jesus to, you know, or <laughs> is he going to be able to play softball or kickball or whatnot? And these new, as new parents, they zero in on the things, well, that's dangerous. Don't yeah. do that. And by the third or fourth kid, we're like, eh. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Just rub, knock rub, the dirt off. <laughs> yeah. Are you bleeding? You're fine. Um, and then this entourage comes in. Oh gosh, and to be in the room with them. that. But they gosh, remind to be once in that again. Room. To run once again. And they actually present three gifts. Now, we're not going to get into the gifts, but there's <laughs> such significance of these gifts. And I think what Matthew says at the very end of uh, this this section, and when they came to the place where the star had rested, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now that is very redundant. <laughs> they were happily happy forever. Happily, 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 happy. But their response and all the questions that they did not know, their response was worship. Wow. I think there is a lesson for us. For me, I'll take my cues from this passage to once again, not focus on what I don't know, but to just this season in preparation during this Advent season, man, I want to revisit just worshiping, just worshiping. 
seeing the bigger picture, seeing a little bit of the glimpses that God gives us, but not with the questions, not with the uncertainty or the indifference, but once again, just kind of settle back into square one in worship. This, this passage in 2 Corinthians has been kind of the theme of my life the past couple of weeks. And not that it's the theme of my life, but that it it keeps coming up where it's an appropriate verse to know. Um, and it's kind of been something that I'm clinging to. But it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it starts in verse 7. And I won't read all of it. I'm going to skip around. But in verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. In verse 13, it says, And it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. This is so important in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The things that we don't see and the wonder that is this season that's been so commercialized, that's been so made so materialistic, and how big's your tree and what you got, what kind of ornaments you got, and how am I going to decorate, and what are we going to get so-and-so? to focus on just a reminder of the wonder and the miracle and the overjoy response of the Magi and letting us have that and being reminded that inwardly we can be renewed day by day, especially in this season that has been a little difficult where we've been hard-pressed, where we've been perplexed and knocked down and we felt like we've been destroyed. But we don't lose heart and we don't lose hope. That's our prayer. That's our prayer for ourselves. That's our prayer for you. May God hold you in the palm of his hand and remind you that you are his and he is yours. God bless.